killer, man. So I appreciate the time. Obviously, want to talk about the new tune and the new album and the comeback and geek out a little yeah. bit about music because ultimately we're just music fans. But uh, of course, I, I wanted to start off by, uh, you know, a little little bragging on, on yourself, throwing some uh, praise on your way. I mean, be honest with me. You, you must feel like a little bit of a genius having put the album out in January and squeezed your tour in back in January and February before the fit hit the shan. <laughs> the timing could not have worked out any better. And that being said, that's probably the first time in uh, Bleed the Sky history that, that we have timed something, you know, unbeknownst to, to us uh, amidst uh, anything epic that could have interfered. We timed it well. Usually when we attempt something like this, it's like right as the, you know, the fan gets just absolutely hammered with it. So. We, we we could not have been more fortunate as far as our timing, but yeah, we had absolutely zero idea that anything was going to, you know, get in the way that it did. And, and when we finished the tour and about a month later, everything happened. We just said, you know what, if this is it, then we went out swinging and we got to do one last one. So we're more than happy with where we're sitting afterward. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate. And be honest with me, that first show back, man, I mean, you could do all the rehearsals and all the working out in the gym, but ain't nothing like being back on a stage that first time again, right? Oh, God. Yeah, dude. And after a nearly 15-year break, you're right. I mean, the rehearsal studio, that's all about, you know, getting your sound tight and making sure everybody knows, you know, transitions and, and the timing and, you know, following a click when you're not used to and yada, 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 you know, practicing the same song 20 times in a row, you know, just till it's as perfect as you can get it, you know, but then we would have, you know, what we would call, you know, dress rehearsals where, okay, you know, lights dim, head bang like it's your first day, you know, just <laughs> working on stage presence and this and that. But again, you're in a tiny room, you don't really have a lot of crowd interaction and feedback. So you're kind of limited. You just, feel like you're jogging in place on a treadmill where when you get on stage, you're actually in a marathon and you have, you know, competitors alongside you and then you have, you know, fans and this and that. So yeah, it was, man, the adrenaline that first show was every, every bit as uh, intense as it was for, you know, first show we ever played. It was just incredible. And it was, it was nice to, to be received back and to feel like you know we still had it again you know we're all 40 year old dudes we got got no business doing this anymore you know? <laughs> but we thought we still had something to offer and, and we felt like when we when we put a pin in it back in the day we didn't do it in a way that satisfied us as well as our fans and we just things just kind of fell apart and we just kind of went along with it and it just it took us a long time due to you know, family situations and, you know, everybody gets married and has kids and kind of grows up. And it, it just took us a while uh, to get us all back to the point where we had time and uh, careers weren't set in place to where we could actually afford to do it because, you know, the money's not really where we'd like it to be on the road and this and that. So, yeah, everything everything's working out great now. Uh, but, yeah, you're right to go. Uh, sorry, I'm <laughs> rambling a bit. But, yeah, that man, that first one back was just absolutely intense. I mean, every emotion imaginable was on that stage for all five of us. It was great. I bet the best night of sleep that night in your life and then hurting in all kinds oh, of places God. you didn't even know existed the next day. Oh, yeah. I thought, man, stretching muscles that I swear I didn't have in my 20s and 30s. That <laughs> You know, new new muscles that sprung up. I was like, man, I've never been sore on the back of my knees. You know, it's like, <laughs> is there, how does that happen? You know, that that's never happened in my life. And, you know, and then Kevin's like, why are my butt cheeks sore? <laughs> like, boy, you know, it was just stuff like... 
you can go dirty with that if you want to. That's whatever. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, it was like you said, it was just stuff that we didn't even know existed that was sore, but it was worth it. hundred percent. You're right, man. That first, that first night, but, but at the same time, it was like our adrenaline was so pumped up. And, and that first show back was, you know, we knew almost everybody in that crowd. There was, you know, close to 300 people there. So it was not a lot of sleep that first night. It was just like hanging out as much as we could with friends we hadn't seen and family that, you know, flew in from around the country to be there for our first show back and fans that were, you know, just teary eyed with excitement, just like we were, you know, it was no different. We were, you know, first couple songs, after those first couple songs, we were having to, you know, take a breather and wipe the tears, man. It just felt so good to be back, you know. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I mean, was there one particular event that genesis this reunion or has this been something that's kind of been building over time and it was just kind of the right time? Yes to the second part. It, 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 it had been built. Well, the part that had been building was Wayne, our guitarist. He, you know, he was with us during the Paradigm and Entropy cycle. And then due to some uh, some physical stuff, he was going through some injuries and some, uh, some issues, uh, health issues that he was going through. He wasn't able to be with us during the Murder of the Dance cycle. So he's 100% now and he, he's fully recuperated from everything and, and a stronger musician and guitarist than he ever was. But he was always our, our business uh, business guy. He was always our manager within the band that dealt directly with the manager, dealt directly with PR. Whether or not he did the interviews, he always set up everything. He made sure merch was where it needed to be, even though he didn't design anything. Again, he was that, that business person that's essential for a band to function on any on any level. Once Wayne, for, I'd say for, for probably the last six, seven years, Wayne's been calling me, and we've remained friends, but he'll call me and go, dude, we, we got to get the band back together, and we got to do this, and I'm like, man, I don't have time. Like, you know, my kids are young, they got all kinds of extracurricular stuff. When Am I going to have time to do this? I want to, but I just simply don't have time. And then he persisted and persisted and never let up. And then one day he called me and I, I couldn't say no. I was like, man, I do have time now. Everything had kind of reached that stage where my wife and I had time to where we could equally balance it. Where before she was working certain hours and I was working a different set of hours. So it was always one of us on the clock with the kids. Right. Well, things finally worked back out where I was like, man, let me talk to my wife. But yeah. And as soon as I talked to her, she was like, hell yes, do it. Like, I know how much you love this, and I'm glad we're to a spot where you can. So absolutely. It was Wayne being as motivated and as driven as he's always been consistently for years. And then just kind of all of us happened to fall into line for what he was wanting. You know, Austin's obviously got um, other commitments with Double Driver and things like that. So his tour schedule has been hell. And, you know, when he's not touring with Double Driver, until recently anyway, just because of the COVID stuff. But when he wasn't touring with Double Driver, he was recording and writing. So Finding time in his schedule was was absolute hell as well. So, you know, five guys that all live in different parts of the country, too. The logistics of it made it difficult because Wayne and uh, Austin live in California. Kevin and Dave live in Oregon, and I live in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Logistically, yeah, it was. we were like, when would we ever rehearse, and how would we do this? It's completely different than we'd ever expected. But, again, rambling, I apologize, man. It, the, ti- the timing of it, literally the stars aligned, and we all five. When Wayne talked to me and I said, yeah, I'm good, he was just, like, so excited. He goes, okay, I'm calling Austin. He hangs up. He calls Austin, Austin's like, okay, yeah, the hell yes, I'm in. And then he's like, Kevin, are you good? And and then everybody was just like, all of a sudden, once I said yes, and and Wayne knew it was necessary that I be part of it, it, it couldn't continue without you know me and Austin. Right. As soon as Austin knew I was on board, he's like, hell yes, I'll do whatever I got to do. You know, I'll I'll record it. You know, overnight, I just won't ever sleep or whatever it takes. 
so yeah, the timing worked out perfect and, and been a lot of work, but again, it all kind of fell together and, you know, I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is great to see Austin a part of it. Cause I assumed automatically that he wouldn't and understandably so, but it's great to see that he is kind of able to work it out and Des is cool with it and all that. And that is the plan moving forward, right? Basically to wait for him whenever he's got the free time. Don't misunderstand or misinterpret the way I say this, but we knew coming in 100%, you know, Austin and I also have, have, have written a lot of the guitar stuff over the last, you know, couple records, three, the last three albums. So not only, you know, do we, do he and I write really, really well together, but, you know, the really unique parts of our sounds that we all understood were, you know, the vocals and the drums. Not to take away from the guitars, because again, Austin and I, you know, write a lot of that stuff. But we also have all almost always written the music to cater to the drums and the vocals. Like, you know, when I write guitar riffs, I'm writing guitarists as a vocalist. I'm hearing the vocals as I'm writing the guitars. So I try to write it to allow space for those vocals. And then I also write kind of knowing Austin's style as well as I do what he's going to play over it. So I also write guitar riffs catering to him. And then when he writes guitar riffs, he hears what he's going to be playing over drums over it. And then he also hears you know, patterns and things that I'm going to be doing over it. So we work really well together. So that being said, we knew from day one, if both of us weren't involved in this, we're not going to do it. If Austin ever said, guys, I, I got a bow out, I can't do it anymore, then I'm gone. And, and we're just going to hang it up. And same with me. And we've we've always known that, you know, the chemistry that's there that allows everything else to work the way that it does has been, musically anyway, has been Austin. Now that all being said, on the business side, if Wayne's not involved, then it's also not going to happen. Right. So there's a lot of other elements, you know, from a musical standpoint, from a guitarist, Kevin, he's our full-time engineer. Like he, he did everything on the last record and the new single, like he produced it, he engineered it, he mixed it, he did everything. Again, we all have our, our roles and they're all equally important, but from a musical standpoint and from moving forward whatsoever, like if Austin and I aren't aren't on the same page and aren't willing to do it for whatever reason, then it's just everything else is doesn't really matter. We can't move forward without that. It's kind of like a tripod. It can't stand on without one of the legs down. A hundred percent accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every, you know, there's no weak link in this band. There's, there's just five strong links. And if one of them goes out, the other four could, could do some stuff and it might be cool, but it's not going to be the same. Question for you too. It, it is great to see what Austin has done and, and gone on to be in Devil Driver. And I, I think I talked to him that first tour he did with them at Ozfest, Not Fest, or whatever it was. But kind of curious yeah. since you're on the inside, like take me back. Do you remember him calling, being like, "Oh my God, I got to audition"? And take me back to him kind of getting that gig. And did he tell you about it, or did you find out after the fact, or were you was he telling you each Man. step of the way? Me specifically, um, when the band kind of dissipated, I don't want to say it broke up because we just kind of. Again, we just kind of decided to put a pin in it. We never officially like split up. Hiatus. Yeah, exactly. Kind of just an indefinite. We didn't really know when we were ever going to get back to it. You know, there wasn't any bad blood. It's not like we got in a you know fist fight and everybody just said "f you," "no f you," and then we walked away. And nothing like that happened. It was it was purely business and timing. That being said, Austin and I kind of drifted apart. You know, he started ramping up and going more full speed, and I had such a distaste from the business aspect of it that I completely just disconnected from music. Like I didn't I didn't play guitar for ten years. I didn't sing anything for ten. 12 years. I wanted nothing to do with it. It was an open wound and I everything to me infected that wound. I just, I wanted it to heal and I needed time. So that being said, again, Austin and I just kind of went our separate ways. We never avoided each other. He didn't call me once for, you know, almost 10 years and I didn't call him once for almost 10 years. That's just kind of the way it was. And, you know, he's always been my brother. I love him and he'll tell you the same thing. You know, 
I was married and, and had my children and he's wanted to tour full time and do that. And we lived on opposite ends of the country and just, it just, it was very complicated, but long story short, no, I, I actually heard it uh, from another friend and I was like, Oh, Holy crap. That's, that's big dude. Well, you know, and then he went from us to, you know, joining Chimera and then from Chimera, you know, he and Rob from Chimera started another side project, the elite, and they did that. And then all of a sudden he's in devil drivers. Like this guy's got momentum. He can't be stopped. And even in my opinion, like he's so underutilized in Devil Driver. You put Austin in a room with any musician and he's as good if not better. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to take away and I'm definitely not down talking Devil Driver, but that guy is one of the most incredible, well-rounded musicians, period. So to hear that he was in a group like that, I was ecstatic. And that's when he and I kind of started talking a little bit more just because I was excited about that. So we kind of reconnected over that just through him. Yeah, over that, which is kind of a blessing. And, you know, him getting into a band of that level was what brought he and I back together and start talking again, you know. So, you know, I don't feel like I lost 10 years with my brother. Again, we're 100% now and we're as close, if not closer than we ever were before. But I heard it, you know, went to work one day and I worked with one of my good friends at New Austin. He was like, hey, did you see this? And I go, no, what are you talking about? So, yeah, kind of kind of happened like that. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, water under the bridge is water under the bridge and moving forward, you know, we're 100% open and transparent about everything else. So, But you still got to have that moment with him like, bro, you got the gig like, oh my God, like you got to have, oh, yeah. that, you got to have that bro moment with him that, you know, that yeah. only you two can have. Yeah, I did. I did have that bro moment with him. And then the other moment that I had with him is when we got back together to start rehearsal. I said, no, leave that devil driver's issue at the door, buddy. You're still <laughs> with drummer and bleed the sky. You know, <laughs> I said, when you walk in this room with all of us, you're the same as all of us. You know that? And he goes, dude, you know, you're even going to say that. I was like, I know I'm just messing with you. <laughs> so. I love it, man. Hey, I appreciate all the time, but having some fun and talking Talking about, uh, you know, people in different gigs. I'm crazy to see that uh, Tom Hazer produced your first EP and now he's singing for David Ellison. Like, whoa. Yeah, just absolutely crazy. Like <laughs> to see to see where some of the people that we've worked with uh, in our early days are now and how far they've come with certain stuff. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Was he giving you vocal tips and stuff back in the day? Like, it, it, did you think he was ever going to be a singer? I mean, was that was he a singer even back then? I, I don't honestly know if he was a singer back then. Um, he wasn't giving me specifically vocal tips as much as Tom just always had a good ear for what he knew people wanted to hear. So he could tell you if you were doing something right or if you were doing something wrong. He might not necessarily tell you how to do it right if you were doing it wrong. He, he just he knew when it didn't sound right. That's how we connected uh, initially with him. Is you know he had a good reputation for uh, for taking really good bands and just helping them be better and helping them live up to their potential. You know, he'd worked with Chimera and he'd worked with, you know, countless other bands back in his earlier years. So that's kind of how we connected with him. But to see him come around to that, it kind of blew me away. Uh, I didn't never know him as a vocalist. I just knew him kind of as a, uh, and not even a producer in a sense, because, you know, he didn't really sit behind the mixing board as much as he was just in the room. And he was a voice in the room that could say, you're doing it right. Keep that. Or no, that's not going to work, you know, and he was just always real transparent, real open, no filter, which was great for us. We didn't need anybody to coddle us and, you know, hold our hand and tell us we were doing a great job. He was really, really honest about everything. So, yeah, we we had a great time working with him early on. He was like the Rick Rubin type. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I don't know if the dude could carry a tune to save his life, but he could tell you if you were. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's important. There's a there's a place for that, and he definitely found it. Well, you being a singer now, judge him singing. Have you have you spent some time listening to him singing on those Ellison tunes? 
Yes, I have. Um, I, I've, I haven't listened to it a whole lot. So I haven't listened to the entire catalog. You know, I, I'm as busy as anybody, um, so I don't listen to a whole lot of new stuff. But what I've heard, I was I was pleasantly surprised by. I didn't think it was lacking at all. I thought it was exactly what was needed for that. Absolutely. Appreciate all the time. Couple couple of things I want to hit you with. Obviously, we, have, we definitely have to uh, fit in talking about the uh, the devil. We'll see you now. Was that kind of some yeah. uh, leftover kind of sort of scrap metal? And did the uh, did the riff and tune come before the the song title? Because <laughs> the song title is amazing. Oh, thanks, man. And that was kind of the working title. You know, a lot of times um, when we're working on something, we'll just call it something silly so we can remember it. Right. Um, so, it, but then usually by the time the lyrics kind of come to fruition, then you rewrite the title based on the lyrical content. Well, I like I like that title. I just and for some reason that that hearing that riff and how aggressive it was originally, it just I always kind of like the idea of the end of Beetlejuice. You know, where Beetlejuice is sitting down in that you know in that lobby, and they're like, okay, just take your number, and you know they'll be right with you, and this and that. Well, I was like, well, you know, what if hell has a waiting room like that, <laughs> and you get, you're you're actually in hell and you know some demon nurse comes out hey the devil will see you now or you know like hey the doctor's in right so right. it's kind of a like a just a funny joke thing but then i started thinking about that and i was like well, what kind of people would ever be in that situation and you know it's very interpretive you can you can say you know murderers might be or crooked politicians or lawyers or whoever you know a parent that cussed at their kid wants who, who, whatever but in in our interpretation you know the song was a hundred percent about the absolute filth that is you know, hidden and supported in ways and nurtured within not specifically Catholicism, but just organized religion and how a lot of this um, predatory behavior is is so common, a lot more common than a lot of people realize and, and how it's, it's accepted. It's just swept under the rug because it's bad PR that gets out. Well, at what cost? How many of our youth are being damaged by this because they don't want a PR nightmare? That's the lyrical content for that, but we also thought the name was very fitting for that. Like, you know, these type of people are the front line. They are number one ticket and number two ticket, <laughs> you know, in, in, in Hell's waiting room. So that's kind of where we came up with that. Now, to answer the first part of your question, yeah, it was It was originally, we had written it intending it to be on This Way Lies Madness, but uh, we ended up cutting that and a couple others, not because we didn't think they were ready, or they didn't make the cut, but because they were so sonically different than the rest of that album, you know, like uh, almost everything on This Way Lies Madness is just groove, nothing but groove, you know, different speed groove, but it's all groove. We've always loved that. Austin's just a master of that. But this one had groove, but more teeth, I want to say. It was just, it was, even the music, even without the lyrics, the music was just angry and it was just heavier than a lot of the other stuff. So we picked a couple that we were like, let's save these and and we'll, we'll just kind of put them on the shelf for now. Well, that one just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And when after we put the record out and then we kind of started looking back at stuff, we were like, oh yeah, this one, let's let's check this one out. And then that ended up being the one that we were the most happy with when when we took it off of the lineup. It was like our, our least favorite one out of the, the three that we held back. Now we're like, it's 100% our favorite one. So does that mean there's an EP coming maybe? Well, <laughs> we we let, let, let me put it this way: we we are having a band Zoom meeting in a couple of days to discuss moving forward whether we want 
to put out some more singles or, you know, we've toyed with the idea of remastering the original EP. We've talked about, you know, a couple remixes on other stuff, throwing some live stuff in. There's a lot to discuss. So we have right now Devil See You Now and two others that, that we held back from uh, this way lies madness. So that would be enough for it to constitute an EP um, if we wanted to. It's just from right now, we're just kind of looking at it from a business standpoint. Where does the label want us to go versus where do we want to go? Can we meet in the middle and kind of try to figure it out? So we'll hopefully know, know some more details, you know, this week. TBD. All all that being said, more stuff is coming. We've already got more stuff coming. It's just a matter of how it will be released, whether it's all together or individually. Spoon-fed or or shovel-fed or, you know, how how it's going to be delivered. Dude, I appreciate all the time. A couple last things I wanted to hit you with, and and it's been so much fun talking to you. Speaking of the album, the one tune that made me pleasantly go, like Scooby-Doo was membrane i certainly wasn't expecting that but it was a nice break in the album and thank you thank you (laughs) and it made me think you have to be a nine inch nails fan oh yes 100 percent. okay but hold on hold on you're gonna help me with this household debate my wife and i got in this debate because she's not a metalhead at all but we agree okay. on Nine Inch Nails. The debate is this. You have to say this or that. There's no wish wash. You have to pick one. It goes yeah. like this. Pretty Hate Machine versus a Downward Spiral. Downward Spiral. Yeah, my man. I yeah. Knew no, I, knew I like it. I like dark. He- heavy to me does not mean crunchy guitars and death metal vocals. Heavy to me means it, when you listen to it, it weighs on you. You know what I mean? Whether, whether it's emotionally or sonically, Nine Inch Nails and Portishead, in my opinion, are two of the heaviest bands that ever walked the planet. They just, their music, you just felt weight when you listen to it. Like, oh my God, this is sonically unbelievable, lyrically fantastic. Just everything about it. Dude, Brain, thank you. Like, Kevin and I came up with that one. I flew out to Oregon, worked with him for a couple days there on some of the mix and stuff. And he and I are diehard, you know, 1980s John Carpenter fans. We both love Nine Inch Nails, Portishead, you know, Massive Attack, all that stuff. And he and I were like, dude, you know, let's let's write our, our interpretation of Stranger Things soundtrack 80s, you know, John Carpenter, you know, meets you know, more polished, refined, but, but, but it still has to work. You know, that's all fine and well, but we wanted it also to work on the album. And we felt like where we placed it and the fact that it just flowed right into ghost the way that it did, yeah. it just worked out perfectly. I, that's hands down my favorite, uh, you know, just because of how Kevin and I came up with it and the work we put in on it. And yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, dude, to be, to be real with you, I'm jacking it as a music bed from now on. I'm stealing that one. That's going to be a music bed for, for a long time to come Hell on yeah. the show. Yeah. Let me it. throw something out there too, real quick, a little, little tidbit. Sure. And I know you didn't ask, and this is definitely not me tooting my own horn, but it's me tooting my own horn. Go for it. Um, chorus in Ghost is a combination of my clean vocals and all four of my children's clean vocals. No way. We recorded, yeah, we recorded all four of them singing it as well. And so it's a mix of myself and my four kids all singing. That's on the so cool. Album. That's so cool. You have that forever and they'll have that forever. They got to sing with their dad. That's so rad. Yeah. And then when we played on, on this tour and we came through Oklahoma City, my wife and my daughters were there and my two daughters came up on stage and sang that song with me. Oh, dude, that was cool. Oh, 
So you were old metalcore guys now, now we're in our forties now. All this stuff right? matters. <laughs> Is Alive or Just Breathing the perfect metalcore record? Oh well, no, good lord, that one. Yeah, that one. That one we played on repeat until it just wouldn't play anymore. For sure, Garage Band days of Bleed the Sky. You know, we'd we'd go to rehearsals and you know while we're setting up and doing this and that, you know, we were either listening to you know As the Palaces Burn, Lamb of God, or that album, or you know Chimera's first record, you know Pass Out of Existence, and or you know Fear Factory, you know, and it, we just we were always <laughs> listening to you know stuff like that, and you know or Chaos Fear, Meshuggah, you know earlier stuff. So. Yeah, that that one fits easily into the top five of what paved the foundation for what metalcore became 100, 100%. Man, talking about, yeah, I know you worked with Christian from Fear Factory, and that's another band that's kind of on the opposite. And there's one guy now standing in that band. Like, what the heck is going on with them? Like, album done, but Burton's out, and now it's just Dino left with the brand new album with Burton on it. Like, that's another weird situation, too. Man, yeah, that one... <laughs> And even talking to Christian and spending as much time with him as we did, we also kind of left that whole situation going, so what the hell are they doing? Even firsthand being involved and hearing some of the conversations that they all had with each other and trying to figure it out. I mean, it's just terribly confusing. We were just, we're constantly telling Christian, it's like, dude, you're confusing everybody. Like we're in the room with you and we're confused. What do you think your fans are thinking? <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, nobody really knows. Fear Factory is that kind of autonomous band that, you know, metal fans are always going to listen to and just which lineup is it going to be? You know, Man. it seems like they have about two or three different full-time lineups and it's just which one are you going to get on this record? You know? Yeah. Talk about a band that did something so unique, you know, blending that nine inch nails, that industrial sound and metal and just, Oh, Oh God. That catalog. Oh, yeah. they Man, listening to uh, Obsolete, I, I remember oh, yeah. the first time I heard that when I was a kid. And, I mean, it just blew me away, the, just the precision and the speed and still the, the flavor, you know, because a lot of times, you know, when you start adding speed in, uh, you lose a lot of uh, flavor in the taste. So they, they managed to keep them and keep those together, and that's not an easy thing to do. And we and we always respected that. I mean, that's why we kind of we liked to write stuff that that had a little bit of speed, but we never tried to you know drag and force it out where people are just <laughs> blown away by how fast it is. You know, because Austin is definitely capable, For but sure. at the same time, blast beats are blast beats, and once you've heard one, you've literally heard them all. Yeah. So he was he. We were always more focused on the flavor rather than the speed. But Fear Factor, yeah, you're right. They were one of the few that managed to capture all of those elements and make them work together that nobody else did it quite like they did. No, not at all. Well, man, Noah, it's been a blast talking to you. I really appreciate all the time. Sounds great, dude. Catch you later. Be safe. All right. Thanks, man. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Dude, you rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and follow me on the socials at MikeZ967. Follow me, I'll follow you back. Lastly, don't miss the show. Saturday nights at 11 p.m., Wired in the Empire on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in Southern California. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. Adios.